In preparation for today's message, we shall be reading from the book of Galatians chapter 5 verses 22 to 26. That's Galatians chapter 5 verses 22 to 26. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Good morning. The Lord is good. It's good to see you this morning. And uh, we continue our series on Galatians. And we are now at that part, we will discuss the fruit of the Spirit as opposed to the deeds of the flesh. This is based on Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 26. Uh, quite a familiar verse to, to many of us. Yet, hopefully, we gain more clarity as we look at it within its context in Galatians. Paul instructed the Galatians to walk by the Spirit so they would not satisfy the cravings of the flesh. There should be no opportunity for the flesh. Instead, they should walk by the Spirit. As we have discussed before, in this text and in this version, whenever the word flesh is mentioned, it may mean physical flesh, but in this context, it's that part of us that craves to sin. And some call it the sinful nature, our inclination, our proclivity to sin that we inherited from Adam. You don't need to teach a child how to sin. They will learn to lie. You will have to teach them what is proper because what is sinful is something they will discover most likely on their own. But in Christ, to those who are justified by faith, the Spirit comes to us. Or I should say, the Spirit comes, therefore, we may have faith in Him. And therefore, there is a conflict within. While before, without the Spirit, there is no such conflict. The conflict is more on my self-esteem, more on what I feel, rather than, is this the will of God or is this sin? Rather than overcoming what is sin, without the Spirit, we just try to overcome what goes against our happiness, our pleasures. And that is a worldly motto, the pursuit of happiness. The believer is never given that instruction to pursue happiness. The believer, as they pursue the Lord, as they meditate on the Scripture day and night, being careful to do according to what is in it, will experience a God-like success. means a gift from God. Now there remains a battle of flesh and spirit. Now Paul, after enumerating some deeds of the flesh, he would contrast them immediately. And this is the immediate, the previous verses, I mean. Now, Paul listed the fruit of the Spirit, and many would say fruit, as in singular fruit. This is the fruit of the Spirit, not fruits of the Spirit, which is in direct contrast to the deeds of the flesh. The listing is so that those who read the letter would gain clarity because sometimes we don't have clarity. Sometimes we think, I'm doing it right, right? 
But then Paul would say, these are the things that is of the flesh, and these are the things that is of the Spirit. At least there's clarity. And sometimes, or oftentimes, when we disciple, we need to bring clarity. And one of the things we say is, well, we have to be faithful to the Lord. And the word faithful, if you use a more modern word, it's not just loyalty or fidelity. It is also consistency. It is not up and down. It's not on and off. Imagine having an earthly relationship that's on and off. It's not a real relationship. It's fake. The same way with the Lord. Some have these fake relationships where it's on and off. And that cannot be. If you are led by the Spirit, it is on. But that doesn't mean you are perfect. The warning is, those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. What it means is those who practice these things regularly as a lifestyle, the deeds of the flesh, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Because when the Spirit is with us, if we are truly justified by faith, we are led by the Spirit. And one obvious thing that the Spirit leads us to is the fruit of the Spirit. Paul would explain that genuine believers have crucified the flesh and its cravings. So the question, how do we deal with the flesh? One, in the immediate context, is walk by the Spirit. Give no opportunity for the flesh. That's how to work it. Yet within the context in Galatians chapter 2, and even in the verses after this, Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. He has crucified the self. He has crucified the flesh. And we will get into that. And in the end, after discussing the fruit of the Spirit, he would again remind them not to do the deeds of the flesh. And that's why the last verse we read in this three verses uh, or four verses that we are discussing, is he reminded them not to be conceited, not to provoke one another, and not envy one another. First point, the fruit of the Spirit. And Paul stated the result or the outcome of walking by the Spirit. He gave a list of virtues included in the fruit. Of the Spirit. The list is obviously in stark contrast to the deeds of the flesh. And let's read that, verse 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. And before you give your own interpretation what this love is, you have to look within the context first. Didn't we teach that? If you're going to interpret anything, you look at first within its context, if it is defined. And Paul did define it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And how did he define love? Serving one another. Right? Serving one. That's the immediate context. So if we say we love our church community, then we have to serve our church community. When we say, say we love the members of our small group because we have built a covenant relationship with them in Christ, what does love mean there? It is to serve one another. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. It is joy. It is peace. And such thing the Lord gives. I think some would explain this to be peace of mind. But we know in, in Christ, or in the Spirit, it is beyond peace of mind. This is something, to those who experience this, we know that this is not merely psychological. This is beyond earthly. It is a joy from the Spirit. In fact, a joy that was birthed by the Spirit or given fruit by the Spirit. And it's because of the Holy Spirit 
And that Holy Spirit, of course, that Holy Spirit does not contradict the Word of God. It began by having faith in the Gospel, or the Spirit led us to have faith in the Gospel, which is the Word of God, the main message of God to us. So there's love, there's joy, and there's peace. Now, joy is not happiness. It's not earthly happiness. And let's look at the context. We cannot jump and interpret this the way we think of it. We have to let the author or just the context speak for itself. These are related to the spiritual. That is the context we're looking at. It is not related to the material. Yet if we pursue joy or happiness based on the material, then that is not from the Spirit. I'm not saying we will not be gifted by God by such things. We are not saying that. But we are saying it's beyond the material. It's beyond the earthly. There's love and there is joy and peace. But if you look at them, the apostles, the early Christians, they were persecuted. Were they, did they have joy? Well, yes, that's why we contrast happiness from joy. Joy is you can go through in the middle of a crisis, even to the point you might be martyred, meaning to die in the faith, in His name, and have that joy of being privileged to do so. And that is something that is hard to understand. Because the believer understands that the Spirit is real and the Gospel is real. That's why in our history, in Christian history, there's so many martyrs who died for the faith and they died proclaiming the name of Jesus. Not denying the name of Jesus, but proclaiming Him as Lord. Can you imagine in the time of the Caesars when the state proclaims that Caesar is emperor and he is Lord, then there's a small group somewhere saying, oh, no, Jesus is Lord. Can you imagine the persecution that will, will result from that? And they were unafraid to do so. There's love and there is joy. And that's the kind of joy that the Spirit gives. It is not the joy that is earthly, it is a joy that is from the Spirit, and that is heavenly, and there is peace. There is peace. There is peace. There is peace every day by His grace. And if we continue to walk by the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit, we will experience the peace of God continuously. Because this is a fruit. That's why we encourage through the scriptures, not to be anxious, not to worry about anything. Don't worry about today. Don't worry about the future. Don't worry about a bad news. Don't worry about the results. Let it happen by God's will and trust in the will of God. Trust in the outcome, even if the outcome is not agreeable to you, because sometimes we are control freaks. We want our lives to be this, this, and this, and this. Control freaks sometimes. In fact, our prayers are more of a dictation to God. God, this is what I want to happen. <sighs> Careful now. You're not speaking to a friend only. He's not just a friend. He is creator and judge of the universe as well as the Savior who loved us. But be careful not to forget the other side. So we maintain that reverence and respect, yet having that intimacy, there is love, there is joy, there is peace. We do not worry about tomorrow, for we trust in the Lord for tomorrow. We work what we have to work. We're not lazy people. We do what we have to do, yet we do not trust in our own efforts, in our salvation. We trust in the Lord. In everything we trust in the Lord. There is love, there is joy, and there is peace. Now, that's something that happens within. Now, patience, 
the next one on the list is sort of a middle between the next set and then and then part of the first set love joy peace and patience this is an internal thing patience all right now now brother ed now that's that's harder i can understand love joy and peace but oh patience is something that is really challenging and i would agree with you that's why we need to walk by the spirit and oftentimes we would lose patience Hopefully, as we grow in the Lord, it becomes less and less. Amen? Not more and more. But patience. Patience is patience. You withhold the negative emotions. Instead of revealing it, you withhold and then what? You pray. And then somehow pray that the Lord would suddenly at that moment work on your heart immediately. Until such time when something comes in, you just take a deep breath. Thank you, Lord. Because in everything, give thanks. Now we are learning to be patient. And one of the things that teach patience, don't miss it, don't miss it. For parents... It's raising children. Amen. Some say it never ends. <laughs> uh, Brother Ed, uh, are children blessings or curses? Uh, they are a blessing. <laughs> Remember that once upon a time, we were children. <laughs> and, uh, but it gives us an appreciation of what our parents have to put up with. The kind of patience that our parents have towards us. It's a way for God to remind us, hey, you see what you've done in your past? Now be patient. So patience is an important thing. And I encourage singles to master patience before getting married because it's not just children you have to be patient with the more challenging is the spouse because somehow the children you still end up loving and loving and loving and understanding them because they're children <laughs> but then your spouse it's so hard to be patient or to raise a 40 year old man or for decades, we have discussed this, and until now, she doesn't understand me. Oh, patience. <clears throat> now, for those of you who have not raised children, please be patient with us who are parents, and be, par be patient with our children. All right? It's not the same. It's not the same. And sometimes the Lord will use our children to humble the parents. Especially in a legalistic church. And hopefully we are not that. Uh, amen? Uh, is my hope and wish. Can we work on that and pray about that? But if, you see, if you're legalistic to others, you always fear what your people will say about your children. Because that's your standard. That's the way you think. You think the same, that everybody's like that. No, not everybody's like that. Sometimes, we just hope people understand. But that doesn't mean we let go something that is wrong. No, we have to address it as a church community. We have to correct it. But then the patience is there. Now, it's never easy, but by the Spirit... It is something of a miracle. Hmm? Oh, I forgot the children. Yes, children, your patience will be tested early. Because you will think your parents never understand you. Sometimes they actually do. Once upon a time, they were as young as you. 
And they went through the same thing. Not exactly, but something similar. Nothing is exactly the same. But what I'd like you to see so that your patience will be there is to appreciate the kind of sacrifice they do because you are not yet there. What I say to young people, can you sacrifice to live on your own, paying for your space, the place you live, feeding yourself and everything, just make a computation and try working for that. And that is never simple, especially in this kind of economy that we have. It's never simple, therefore, let us be patient with our parents as well. There is much to speak about. Then the other part is what we do, kindness and goodness. Kindness and goodness. Well, only God is good because all are sinners. Yet the Spirit of God teaches us a godly kind of kindness and goodness. Now, how do we learn to be kind? Again, we try to be kind by using what? Well, patience must be there. You cannot be kind without patience as well. You're patient. And then kindness is these are acts. This is not just a state of the heart where some people we think they're kind because they have this ambiance that they are soft-spoken, and we call that mabait. Huh? Mabait. But we are, that's, yes, that's wonderful. But there are people who we think are mabait, seem kind, but do nothing. They just smile and are quiet. But they don't have anything positive to contribute. No, kindness is an act towards others. And that may be from your giving. That may be from not only money, but giving of time and effort for others. When you are busy in a brother or sister, may we talk and pray. I just need to unburden myself. And that is showing kindness, that time. So it might be different kinds of resources. But in the Lord, take note, let me add this, so that our kindness does not become, or and our goodness, which are very related, kindness and goodness, does not become a work of the flesh. Let me warn you, do not sound a trumpet after you help somebody. That's in Matthew 6. That's found in Matthew where what? If you give alms to the poor, do not sound the trumpet. In fact, do not let your left know what your right is doing. Let me modernize it. After you help somebody, you don't have to post it on Facebook. Is that okay? But I want to encourage others. I Trust me. The one you help. The one you help will tell a story one day how you have become a blessing and that will spread by itself and others will be inspired with what you did and even that person you help might help others. Trust me, in a way of manner of speaking, it will spread. But once you sound your trumpet and then once you make other people feel bad of not contributing to you, to your efforts, that becomes a work of the flesh. And I feel that sometimes it makes me cringe. But then I know of brothers and sisters who continue to help and not one post, not one air of, I have done much, and there's no other part like, what have you done? Oh. Goodness and faithfulness. Faithfulness definitely in the Lord, but also in the truth of the gospel. And that is contextual. To be faithful to the accuracy of the gospel. And the same way, being faithful to one another. Which is in direct contrast to the deeds of the flesh. Which is division and dissension. And making people fight one another. Because some of us are so bitter and insecure. And we cannot forgive. That's why we involve others. And so we create a division Instead of just keeping quiet and learning to deal with that within, 
so that we overcome the flesh and the spirit would manifest its fruit. Instead of doing that, we talk, 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 and win others to our side so that person is isolated or we create this division in church. That's the work of the flesh. So you'd rather keep quiet, overcome it, or talk to a counselor, a mature one, a spiritually mature counselor. But sometimes, I don't understand some of us, we're afraid of the spiritually mature counselor. You know why? Because the spiritually mature counselor, biblical counselor, will listen to you, will pray, and even comfort you, yet will not withhold the truth of the gospel or the word of God to you. If they have to correct you, they will. And some of you don't want that because you feel it's going to hurt. And some of us prioritize our emotions rather than the truth. Faithfulness. Being true to the word and being true to one another. Especially when you're bitter and hurt, be true to the word and to the community. And if it's a brother or sister that, that hurt you, you have to think, was it intentional? Maybe not. But I'm just too sensitive sometimes. I react because there's this dark part of my past that somehow comes out. And they were not intentional about it. Or maybe they were, but even if they were, that's where the patience comes in. Oh, I see. What we don't let pass is false doctrine. Sometimes childishness, we have to let it pass. It's being childish. You just extend your patience and then deal with it at another time. It's just like, you know, we talk about marriage sometimes. How do you correct a spouse? That's a question we have <laughs> among some of us. And uh, we always say, cautiously, <laughs> right? Cautiously, and then what? At the right time. Paul was passionate about false doctrine, and we do not let false doctrine pass. However, childishness needs a lot of patience between us. But when there is sin, we have to correct sin. You know, Matthew 18 process, if you see a brother or sister in sin. And I'm talking about real sin. Not being immature. Sometimes you can be immature and not necessarily be sinful. Like not greeting everybody or doesn't care we exist. That's being immature. Uh, but sin is somebody must correct. If they do not repent, they, we cannot win them over. That's the time we talk to somebody else. So will it spread? Yes, to somebody else, a second one. And that's the time we talk, and if not yet, you reveal it to the church, and how our church applies that is to the eldership. And it is discussed in the eldership, but not immediately. When somebody reports to us, have you dealt with that person? And please talk to the person first. I cannot. You cannot involve me yet. Faithfulness, it's also being faithful to one another. Verse 23 is gentleness, or it's also the word meekness. And what is that? It is not necessarily being soft-spoken. It is power under control. Your aggression under control. Right? Yes, gentlemen, as men, we need your aggression to provide for the family. We need your, 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 your power to discipline the family and to protect the family. We need your masculinity there. We do not need you soft there. But when are you soft? It is to control what you have. But you have that. Best explanation. Holding a baby. You can crush that baby with your arms. But you're controlling that power. In the same way when we deal with each other, where patience comes in and gentleness comes in, we reserve the power. 
So I say to us sometimes, before we rebuke firmly, we rebuke gently. And for the nth time, we see in Scripture as well, like Paul in Galatians, who corrected them with a firm hand, with firm words, at the same way with the Lord Jesus Christ. Yet that is not the first option. Self-control. Ah, now we're talking. Self-control from what? From from the flesh, from the, the cravings of the flesh, which seeks pleasure, which seeks premarital sex, or pornography, or extramarital sex, or adultery, that seeks that, that needs self-control. The self-control to speak what is improper, then we hold it self-control. To let something pass and deal with it at another time, that is self-control. The eagerness to do something and say, let us be calm and collected and think through this, that is self-control. Let me even put a simple, applic uh, a more earthly application, a controlling impulse buying. When it's so easy by touching the phone, right? Then the problem when the package arrives, you don't have anything to pay with, right? <laughs> then that's a time you're so kind to the people at home. Can you please pay first? <laughs> well, whole day or whole week, you're just ignoring everybody. Now your package arrives. Pwede ikaw muna. So kind, right? <laughs> so kind. Lovable. Uh, if you're just like that every day. <laughs> Self-control. Now, self-control means we understand that the flesh exists. A person who says he is not tempted by, his, by cravings of his own flesh is lying. But can it be overcome? Of course it can be overcome. Now, in the latter part, he says, Paul says in verse 23, Against such things there is no law. What does that mean? Paul exclaimed that no law forbids such things. A genuine believer will manifest such virtues not because the law forced them to, but because the Spirit led them to. Next point, crucify the flesh. Paul explained that genuine believers had crucified the flesh, including its cravings. To crucify the flesh is to sacrifice or nail the passion for sinning to a tree. And such is a continuous practice of a true believer. We are speaking metaphorically here. Because the word crucify or crucifixion was invented by the Romans. And it involves the torture, but the end result is nailing someone to a tree. We call it a cross. Scriptures call it a tree, when G where Jesus Christ was nailed. And this should be a practice. Verse 24, let's read it. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Again, similar to what Paul said in Galatians 2.20, which says, I am crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer lived. No longer us. We have crucified it. We have sacrificed it. Now, Paul's statement aligns with Christ's call for his disciples to deny themselves. And you'll find that in Luke 9. I believe it's verse 23 onwards. And Matthew 10 as well. Where he calls his disciples to deny themselves. Like he said, whoever wants to follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. And that's where you nail yourself. Not literally, but the cravings of the flesh. We nail it there. Now, why did the Lord say daily? 
Because somehow every day that person we nailed on the cross wants to come down and wants to make us impatient again and wants to manifest the deeds of the flesh. Although we have crucified it, yet the battle continues. But if we walk in the Spirit, where we, the Spirit leads us to follow the Word, definitely. Leads us to prayer and worship, definitely. When we walk by the Spirit, the flesh seems to be not so interesting. The selfish desires doesn't seem to be that interesting when we walk by the Spirit. Now, thus the genuine believer recognizes that the flesh exists and they must make sure that the flesh remains crucified. Point number three, live by the Spirit. Those who live by the Spirit are guided by the Spirit, which may mean that the Spirit will guide the believer to manifest the fruit of the Spirit. Thus, believers should stop boasting, provoking, and envying one another. Verse 25, let's read that. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. What does that mean to keep in step? It simply means to be led by the Spirit. It's to walk with the Spirit. He is the guide. We're keeping in step with the guide. And the guide is the Holy Spirit. Now, some people will interpret this out of context. They will talk about, suddenly talk about the spiritual gifts. And I have nothing about discernment or the word of knowledge or word of wisdom. But this is a different context. What does the Spirit lead us to? It leads us to the fruit of the Spirit. That is the immediate context. If we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. If we keep in step with the Spirit, what will happen? We are led to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. And against such there is no law. Verse 26, a final warning in the text that we're discussing. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Now, conceit is like boasting, but you're not boasting internally. There's conceit in you. You're not necessarily outwardly always boasting, but it leads to boasting. Selfish pride, I'm better than you, or... I treat you as earthly humans, and I am divine. Humans. <laughs> but somehow, we do talk divine when we talk about the biblical things versus the earthly things, which is earthly and human. Yet, what must not be there is conceit. I... The Lord has transformed our lives, praise God, but we have to be humble to say we are incomplete. And we can be tempted still. And we can fall and we must be careful. But once we look down on others who have not overcome areas in their lives and we look down on them, that is a, a type of conceit. Let us not be conceited, Paul said, which leads to boasting. And boasting may lead to provocations. You know what? Provoking. You're provoking somebody to anger or to fight. <laughs> Some of us love that, right? And the more they're losing their patience, the more we want to feed it. Uh, no, not all of us. Just brothers and sisters, okay? Not all the time. Some of you only, okay? Since you don't like to admit it. <laughs> You play tricks on one another when you were young, and some of you still do when you're old, uh, provoking one another. Some of us, you know, some of us are so fleshly. We need a fight to survive. It's like a, a, a culture. We need somebody to disagree with. Our first statement when somebody explains something is, no, listen to yourself. You always want to give the opposite 
perspective when it is not always called for. You can give the opposite perspective at another time. Unless you're really analyzing face to face. Let's look at this. This and this. This and this. Provoking one another and envying one another. And provocations may become as a result of envying one another. And we discussed this last week. We think the world is unfair. She has that. He has that. I should have that too. We always think everything should be exactly the same. No, that's not how the world works. And that is not how God works. God gives us different gifts and abilities and resources for His purpose. And we trust in the Lord for His purpose. We trust in His will. With whatever background we have, we praise God. And we say, yay and amen. If somebody is blessed, we don't say, oh yeah, but she's ugly anyway. That's envy. You have to say something negative if somebody's going positive. Uh, what an ugly shirt. Sometimes we have to, that's one sign of envy. Well, another, well, let me go back to provocations. Now, listen to yourself. Who does he think he is? You're provoked easily. More patience is needed. Uh, in Filipino, oh, Did you ever think that? No. Deeds of the flesh. So try to remove that vocabulary from your mind. Alright? When somebody is blessed, you say something nice. Amen? But do not provoke. If you're so blessed, don't tell the word, hey, look at me. I am so blessed. If you could only see my life. Oh, oh. Uh, I visited a nice place. Just look at me on this nice place. Careful now. Other people are having a hard time and they don't appreciate that posting. So you don't post everything nice about you. It makes you predictable and easy to manipulate by evil forces. No, you don't. You celebrate within your community, within your growth group within your family, but you don't have to tell the world. And if you ever you want to share a victory, let's, let's try to be tasteful about it. Huh? I was sharing yesterday to a group of young men how somebody I know did it quite well. So he was interviewed on TV, and of course he wanted all his friends to know that <laughs> I'm on TV. Okay, national network. And he had a nice way of saying it. And he knew how to say it. He said, oh, uh, I really thank the crew and the hosts of this TV program. They're really good at what they do. Then a picture of him being interviewed, right? <laughs> so subtle. <laughs> but that's done with taste. Because the focus was not on him. The focus was on somebody else. But you could feel if somebody's focus is me, and what I have done, and my business, and my, my ministry. <clears throat> That's one reaction. <sighs> the other reaction is... <clears throat> You're trying others to be envious about you? That's... Don't provoke. Once we internalize what John the Baptist said, he must increase and I must decrease. When a compliment is given you and you learn not to absorb it and to give it back to the glory of God, or when somebody compliments you, you know how to return it and say, well, the truth is, I'm the one who's blessed.
God is good. May we all grow in the fruit of the Spirit. Now, after I've shared you, you know how challenging it is that we really have to walk day to day. <laughs> and none of us are perfect. We make these mistakes, sometimes unconsciously, right? Not intentionally. Sometimes our deep concern for others wants us to correct everybody. <laughs> Even you, you have to. You don't have to. Like, you know how a way to cook something and you want everybody else to cook it the same way you do. Chill, man. I'm just using a small example. However, but one thing we can do is what? To grow in grace, to grow in the spirit, in the patience of the Lord. To grow in self-control, love, joy, peace, patience. What we can do is to continue to learn from one another. What if we encounter people like that? Well, learn what you can. Do not judge their being provocative or conceited. Just learn what you can. And don't judge immediately that the person is conceited. Sometimes they're just happy to share. That's the, other, the flip side of it, right? I know that at times they're really just sincere to share their happiness. And we have to be careful not to be easily provoked. That's the other part of it. Because sometimes we are so insecure, so many things provoke us. Oh, I'm out of time, but let me ask you to stay for a while. Application, understand the fruit. We must walk by the Spirit. If we do, the fruit of the Spirit will manifest in our lives. But we must know what it is. The fruit includes love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and self-control. Include faithfulness there. Understanding the fruit of the Spirit will help us evaluate the state of our hearts and our behavior. A lack of understanding will lead to a lack of self-awareness, which leads to reckless behavior. Number two, crucify the flesh. True believers have crucified the flesh, yet the flesh persists in sinning, especially if we do not walk by the Spirit. Thus, in every waking moment, throughout the day, and before we end the day, we ensure that the flesh remains nailed. The Lord Jesus called His followers to deny themselves and take up their cross daily, let us take note that it is daily. We have crucified the flesh, yet we must ascertain that it remains crucified. So if you lose your temper, crucify that immediately, right? <laughs> Excuse yourself to overcome yourself and pray. Crucify that and come out immediately. Sorry about that. Now, there are people who are just passionate about things. They're not necessarily losing their temper. They're just passionate. Like if you hear a composer talk about music, it's so passionate. It's not necessarily that they're angry or they lost their temper. So at one point, we watch ourselves, but another point on others, we are careful. We are more patient with others because we might misinterpret what's happening within. Third, live by the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, we will walk with the Spirit, which means that we will seek the guidance of the Spirit. Another way of saying it is that the Spirit will lead us to faith and manifest the fruit in our lives. That's the way to walk by the Spirit, to live by the Spirit, faith in the gospel, and trusting that the Spirit will manifest the fruit in our lives. Therefore, let us let go of conceit, which is related to quiet or boisterous boasting, and make sure that we do not provoke each other and do not envy each other, for such is not of the Spirit. I give you now a piece of poetry entitled, Unless. 
There's hope for us, wretched sinners. We who could never be winners against the flesh and against spin, we lose no matter how we spin unless we walk by the Spirit. It means to Him we should submit. Not us, but we should take, but He should take the lead. Faith in the Spirit we do need. Otherwise, in sin we are doomed. In selfish desires, we're consumed, lost, blind, and oh yes, corrupted. But our flesh should be disrupted. Give no space, give no room to it, and instead walk by the Spirit. He leads us, He brings forth the fruit. May this truth in us take deep roots. Within, let all the turmoil cease. Lord, fill us with love, joy, and peace. The Spirit leads us to patience, kindness, faithfulness, and goodness. Gentleness and self-control too. The Spirit's fruit for me and you. Let's treat each other well and good through faith in Him. That's understood. Let's all rise and let us pray. Thank you, Lord. Your grace abounds. There is much to learn. O oh, wretched sinners we are, and the flesh exists. Yet you have provided a way. By your Spirit we can walk. And that is what we pray, to walk every day according to your will. Led by the Spirit to manifest the fruit of the Spirit. Led by the Spirit to have faith in Him and the work of Christ. Who Christ it and His work. And having the faith to proclaim it to others. Believing that the gospel is the power of God to salvation. Yet we know we will fail. We will fail unless through your Spirit. Unless through the gospel unless through your grace. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of His Spirit be with you all. God's people say, Good morning. God bless you all.